Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Nashville Life. For those of you here for the first time, I'm Alvin. I'm the lead pastor. I was just on the screen, and here I am again. Um, thanks to you, thank you for being here. Uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday. Any uh, Chiefs fans here? Buccaneers? Don't care? Yikes. All right, well, enjoy today. Enjoy the food. Um, uh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Titans fans? Still the don't care is louder. Wow, and this is Nashville. Okay, um, I love our community. Um, it is the first Sunday of February, 2021. Um, we are about to get into the word, but before we do, let's do our, our pre-word declaration. Uh, repeat after me. Uh, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so we are in 2021. We, we named the theme of this year, I'm a life giver. I'm a life giver. And we got this from a story in Genesis 41 where Joseph is given the responsibility to distribute what was needed for the famine. There was a seven-year famine that, that hit the entire world. And Joseph was given the responsibility by Pharaoh to distribute the grain that was needed um, for the whole world. And I spoke that I believe that Joseph was a foreshadowing of who Jesus is. And while Joseph oversaw the needs of the world during the famine of his time, I believe Jesus oversees the needs of the world during the famine of our time. I think the famine in Genesis 41 was a famine of grain, but I believe that the famine today is a famine of life. It's a famine of truth, it's a famine of joy, and um, we, the church, when Jesus died on the cross, he was crucified on the cross, he died and he rose from the grave, and, and with him, was, uh, with that resurrection, a church was established. Uh, a church are, are human beings like you and me who believe in Jesus and we're born again and we become conduits for this life of Jesus. We become uh, transmitters of the life of Jesus and the love of God. So all of the love and the healing and the joy and the peace and the truth that comes to the world that's in need happens exclusively through this body of Christ, the church. So if you are a believer, you are extremely significant. We are the light of the world, according to scripture. We are the lenders to the world, and we are the life givers for the world. We are the light of the world, we are the lenders to the world, and we are the life givers for the world. That's who we are. We have a very, very significant role in this generation. And I want us to really own that this year. This year is us saying we are life givers. My, play, my prayer is that we would accept the call to be life givers. And to be a life giver is to be a blessing. To be a life giver is to be a blessing. It's more than just being blessed. 
it's actually being a blessing. And we're going to uncover what that is today. Um, in order to be a life giver and to accept this call, we have to first say yes to Jesus. Because Jesus, according to scripture, is the life giver. He is the vine. We are the branches. It is only through his vine that we receive the life that we're then accountable to give. So we must say yes to Jesus. And the second step that I want to talk about today actually involves saying no to something or someone, depending on how you look at it. And that is, in order to be a life giver, we must say no to being the victim. We must say no to being the victim if indeed we are going to be life givers. There are a few things that hinder being a life giver more than a victim mentality. The definition of victim in Webster is one that is acted on and usually adversely affected by a force or agent or one that is subjected to oppression, hardship, or mistreatment. Now, please hear me that all of us at one point in time have been on the receiving end of mistreatment, of injustice, of, of a crime or an offense or something negative. I'm going to call those uh, victim episodes, moments in time where you have been on the receiving end of victimization. And granted, I know some of us here have been more severely victimized than others. I can safely say that all of us at one point in time have had a victim episode where we've been on the receiving end of something negative. And while, being, while having a victim episode is inevitable and we actually can't prevent it, Scripture makes it very clear that all of us, whether we are believers or not, are vulnerable to trials and tribulations and mistreatment and those sort of things. We cannot prevent those things during our lives. What we can prevent, though, is a victim mentality. And a victim mentality is taking a victim episode and allowing it to mature and seep into where it's your lens from which you look at the world and look at yourself. It's taking something that was an episode and allowing it to mature to where it becomes your perspective, your, your identity, and uh, your lens. We talked about lens last week. And that's what we must prevent. So uh, this month, our series will be called uh, The Former Victims Club. The Former Victims Club. And this whole month is going to be one big induction into what we're calling the Former Victims Club. Now, this club is for people who have been hurt in the past, but have either avoided or escaped a victim mentality. People who are tolerant of a victim mentality cannot be life givers in the purest form. Life givers are people who don't see themselves as victims. And since they are not victims, they can therefore afford to free those who are. Life givers are not victims and can therefore afford to free those who are. During the year 2020, I had many discussions 
with our church, people outside the church. It was filled with conversation, and uh, a lot of it was on oppression, and kind of the leading topics that I have been in conversations about were a lot of things, but the top two things, and I'm not saying they're related, but the top two things of my 2020, and honestly since, has been oppression in the black community and oppression um, within the conservative community, politically speaking. Um, and again, I don't think they're connected per se, but those just happen to be the top two topics of my talks. And I've noticed something very common in both of the conversations as far as the variety of them, and not all of them, but most. Regardless of who I was talking to about these areas, conversations seem to start from a place of, of ministry, as in the person who I'm speaking to has a heart or a burden for the oppressed, and they say it as if it's other people. But then 15, 20 minutes into the conversation, you realize that they are speaking about their own oppression. And I think it's very important to highlight that there is a difference in fighting for your own safety and the safety of others. And it gets very confusing if you confuse the two because one is survival for you and the other one is ministry for others. I would dare to even challenge when it's for yourself if that's even considered ministry. Ministry is service for someone else. And I would take meetings and they would come out the gate as if it's, I'm a minister and I care. But then I realized that deep down, they actually believe that they're oppressed themselves. And what was supposed to be ministry for others ends up really being, I need ministry for me. I noticed that many of the liberators of the oppressed still identified as oppressed themselves. I realized that many of the defenders of the weak still deep down identified as the weak themselves. Still identifying as a victim prevents your ability to be a life giver. In the word of God, you will see in scripture, we always have to come back to the word of God. In the word of God, you see God deliver his liberators first. The liberators must be delivered first. Moses was delivered from Egypt 40 years before he was sent to deliver the slaves from Egypt. Joseph was saved from the famine and was brought to a land of plenty before he could save his friends and family and his nation from the famine. Jesus was delivered from his temptation in the desert before he delivered any of us from our temptation. True liberators cannot still be victims. True liberators cannot still be victims. 
This is the month of February, and for years, our nation has celebrated Black History Month. And one of the prominent figures that we celebrate and that we honor is a woman by the name of Harriet Tubman. And Harriet Tubman has an amazing story, made about 19 trips from the South to the North. Because of her, over 300 slaves were freed, and she led them, and it's an amazing story. But what you need to know about Harriet is, before Harriet Tubman earned the nickname of Moses, she was a victim first. She wasn't always Harriet Tubman. Quite literally, her name was Araminta Harriet Ross. And she was born a slave, born of a slave family. And a lot of people don't realize this is while she was still a slave, she married a freed black man named John Tubman. So while she was still a slave, she had a husband who wasn't owned by anybody. And while I was reading this part of the story, it revealed to me that sometimes exposure to a new mindset is the first step of freedom. <laughs> Simply being exposed. Every day she was being a wife to a man who wasn't a slave that had to have done something to her, that had to expose her to a reality that could be hers. She was in jeopardy of being sold and, and, and ran for her life. She escaped, ran all by foot, went from Maryland all the way up to Pennsylvania without getting caught. And there, she settled in Philadelphia and lived for about a year as a free woman. She had her own place. She got a job as a free woman. She made money as a freed woman. She saved money as a freed woman. And it wasn't until about a full year that she decided as a free woman to go back to the South and bring others to a place of freedom that she had already achieved. Now, it was very difficult for Harriet because a lot of the people that she went back to were not able to not see themselves as slaves. And it was really hard because these were her friends and family. She had tasted victory, and there were people who refused, for whatever reason, to really see themselves as free. But what I love about Harriet is as much as she wanted other people to be free, she had made a resolve that regardless of what you say for your life, I'm free. And she left some people. She didn't let her love for them make her settle back in slavery. She said, I want you to come with me. But at the end of the day, I'm free. And she built a home, had a family, died as a free woman. And because of her, the best thing about her story is over 300 people got to have the same story. True liberators cannot still be victims. If you believe that you are still a victim to your oppressor, and whatever you believe that oppressor is, for some of you, the oppressor is the white man. For some of you, it's the government. For some of you, it's the liberals. For some of you, it's the conservatives. For some of you, it's COVID-19. That's your oppressor. For some of you, it's a face mask. That's your oppressor. For some of you, it's your dad. 
For some of you, it's your mom. For some of you, it's your boss. For some of you, it's the devil. If you still identify as a victim to your oppressor, you will resist your call to be a life giver. And it won't be as deliberate as you think. People who identify as victims find it nearly, if not totally, impossible to identify as life givers. And this is why. When you are a victim, you only see yourself as a person in need. If you identify as the victim, you are the only person who is in need of attention. You're the only person who's in need of benevolence, of ministry, of a compliment, of encouragement, of an apology, of an invitation, of justice, of healing. If you see yourself as a victim, you struggle thinking that you can afford to do anything but get help. It's not that you're mean. It's not that you're bad. You sincerely don't think you can afford to help anybody else because of the state that you're in. All of this would be fine and okay if there was not a God. That would be a totally acceptable mindset if there was no God. But there is a God. And the God that we have is not only a God, but he is a father who raises his children to not only stand on their two feet, but to help other people to stand on their feet as well. That is the father that we have. He raises his children to be able to stand firm, firm enough to where you actually have the bandwidth to pull somebody else who's down. And when you're a victim, that is out of the question for you. Not because you're mean, not because you hate people, but you sincerely don't think you can afford to do anything but get help. Psalm 23 verse 1 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we love this scripture. We sing this scripture. But the Lord is asking us, when will we finally step into the reality of the scripture? Another translation says, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. When will we actually step into this scripture that because Jesus is our shepherd, we lack nothing? When? When will this scripture actually become your life? When are we going to actually learn to identify with the shepherd? Do you know that's actually the plan of God is for you to become the person in need to then identifying with the, the shepherd himself? God wants us identifying with him. He wants us to see ourselves as him in the story. Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. This goes all the way. This has been God's plan ever since Abraham. He says, and I will make, this is God speaking to Abraham. I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This scripture reveals what I'm going to call the former victim's 
four-step process. The former victim's four-step process is step one, man is the victim. And that's all of us. The Bible says all of us were born in sin. All of us were shaped in iniquity. All of us were uh, uh, sons of wrath. We were slaves to the devil. Like, that's scriptural. All of us start at step one. All of us. Step two, God is the blessing. Step three, man receives blessing. Step four, man becomes blessing. That is the four-step process for the former victims club. You start off as a victim, you and me both. We encounter God who's the blessing. We receive the blessing and then we become the blessing. We see this four-step process in the gospel of Jesus Christ. John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's go back to the four-step process. Man is the victim, victim of darkness. We are the victim of sin. We can't see. We're bumping into stuff. We're the victim. Number two, God is the blessing. In this case, Jesus is the light of the world. He provides light. He's the blessing, step two. Step three, man receives blessing. Because of the light, because of the blessing, now we can see. We can see. Praise God, we're not bumping into stuff. We're not hitting our shins and, and we're doing all right. We can see now. But step four is man becomes the blessing, which we see when Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, verse 14, you are the light of the world. First, he's the light of the world. So what happened? We receive the blessing. Now we can see, but that's not where it ends. And too many, too many of us stop at step three. Step four is we become blessings to where now we are the light of the world. And now through our lives, other people who are victims can now see. This is the four-step process for the former victims club. Anyone who receives the blessing of God is meant to become the blessing of God, which is why we are here today. All of us have been blessed. There's not a single person in this room that is not blessed. But the victim identity keeps us at step three. The enemy aims to interfere with the four-step process. He doesn't want to see you get to step four, where you see yourself as the blessing. And what he does is he does this by discrediting the life giver in you and encouraging the mess out of the victim in you. He affirms that victim like it is his job, because it actually is. He discredits the life giver in you, the, the, the person who's called and, and purposed and full of value and has the capacity and the bandwidth to give. He discourages that. He gives you every reason to doubt that you are that and gives you every reason to believe that you are still the victim and therefore cannot afford to give out. 
this year we must choose. Are we victims or are we life givers? At Nashville Life, my prayer is that all of us choose to be life givers. But it's not just, you have to, you can't say yes to one without saying no to the other. Trust me. If you're wondering if there's a way to do both, you will find out you can't do both. Oil and water. Now, being a life giver does not mean that you pretend that nothing, ever, nothing bad has ever happened to you. Being a life giver does not pretend that you've never been hurt and that your heart wasn't broken and that you don't have scars and that that didn't happen and it was all in your head. Guys, that's a whole nother set of problems. Pretending that it doesn't happen is extremely unhealthy. That is not what being a life giver is, is pretending that it didn't happen. That is not what I'm saying. I know I'm talking to a room of some severe stories. I am fully aware that this room is full of some really tough stuff that has been inflicted upon you. Joseph, the man that we're studying a lot this year, went through a lot of real stuff. He was a victim of of his brothers, of his employers, of his prison mates. However, at the end of his story, Joseph had to graduate from being the victim in his story to the life giver in his story. So much of this is just how you see yourself in your own story. What narrative have you entertained? Are you the, the victim in your story or are you the life giver in your story? Joseph is one of the founding members of the former Victims Club. He's, he's been a long member, one of the, one of the legends. Um, when he was re- reunited with his brothers towards the end of his story, they didn't know that they were talking to their brother who they betrayed years ago because it had been so long and he looked, he looked different. And he was in a very, very rare situation where his brothers, his betrayers, were at his mercy. And the only way they could provide food for their families was through him. And he, had, he was at a crossroads. He had to ask himself, am I a victim or am I a life giver? And he couldn't be both because if he said I'm a victim, his needs would have been too great for him to give them anything. When you're a victim, if Joseph allowed himself to remain a victim, he would have been too, in, too sensitive to all that his brothers owed him. Joseph needed justice. Joseph needed to have a sense of being even. Joseph had needs that needed to be met by his betrayers, by his oppressors. And if he chose victim, he would have been too consumed with all of his needs than to even entertain the fact that his very oppressors had needs that he was in a position to meet. 
This is next level, guys. We're not talking about some flesh, moral, Christian stuff. We are talking about supernatural God, power, resurrection, born again, Jesus stuff. Guys, you cannot step into this reality by your own goodness and by your own strength and by your own understanding. I'm introducing you all to a level that demands the supernatural power of God in your heart. Joseph had to ask himself, am I a victim who still needs what my betraying brothers owe me? Or am I someone in a position to actually give them what they need? Not because I owe them, but because I love them. Are we there, guys? We're pressing towards the mark of the high calling. This is a high calling. Being a Christian is a high calling. You can't just kind of ease into this thing. It's too high of a calling for you not to be totally broken and yielded to the help of God. This was a very, very painful crossroad for Joseph. In case you don't know the story, he chose to be a life giver. When he had every logical, justifiable, understandable reason to be the victim. He had every justifiable reason to be a victim. He knew his rights, but he chose to lay them down for the needs of others because he, in that story, made himself the life giver. Genesis 45 talks about the whole process. I'm going to read one through seven. Stay with me. Are y'all good? Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. He was crying real loud. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, hear this, guys. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt which means it's okay to acknowledge that you were hurt. It's okay to, not, you know, to acknowledge that it happened. He didn't say, oh, I don't forget what you guys did to me. Oh, this doesn't even matter anymore. You sold me into Egypt. You did do that. And now, do not be distressed or angry 
with yourselves because you sold me here. You sold me here, but don't be dismayed. You did it, but don't be dismayed. And now, sorry, do not be distressed, angry, because uh, uh, for God, this is what it takes. For God sent me before you to preserve life. This shows the power of the mind. It is possible Joseph was able to ch change the narrative of the story of I'm here because my brothers are the worst to God sent me here and used my brothers to do it. Are we there? Verse 6, he keeps on expounding. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. It is your choice what your character is in your story. Joseph is proof that we have 100% authority to determine who we are in our story. If you want to be the victim of your story, you can do it. Some of you guys are doing a great job at it. If you want to become the life giver of your story, you can do it. The people who hurt me most, I'm actually called to bless. And because of what I've been through, now I can be a blessing to them. You want to know who thought like that? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who we say we're little Christians and we act like him and we think like him and we are made in his image and we are, while being stoned, while being spit on, he determined that even in this victimizing moment, I am going to choose to be the life giver in this story. I'm going to use my most oppressed state I'm going to use my most victimized moment to be the source of life to the very people who are watching me die with joy. On the cross, he said, forgive them. He was ministering forgiveness while being victimized. You have a choice of who you are in your own story. If you want to be the victim, continue. If you want to be the life giver, repent and make a choice. Joseph chose in that moment while he was crying so loudly. That was the pain of him laying down the victim and picking up the life giver. It hurts. It will hurt. But it's the only way of Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus... This is the only way. 
There is zero other options if you want to follow Jesus. Remember, let Joseph, let Jesus, let Harriet Tubman, let these stories remind you that letting go of your victim mentality will not only give you life, but it will give life to others. Joseph's choice to be the life giver saved his entire family and his entire nation. Jesus' choice to become the life giver on the cross gave us life. Guys, being blessed is only a stepping stone to the ultimate call of being a blessing. Some of the most blessed people are some of the most unfulfilled people. Some of the most blessed people are some of the most unfulfilled, some of the best looking, some of the most talented, some of the most promising, some of the people with the best salaries are currently even in this room some of the most unfulfilled people because being blessed is only half of it. Being blessed is only half of it. Acts 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive, which means you can receive and be less blessed than the one who gives. Some of the most blessed people are some of the most unfulfilled people on the earth. The poor can only receive. The sick can only be healed. The oppressed can only be liberated. Now, you might be wondering why I'm saying only. After all, being blessed is miraculous. Being healed is miraculous. Being liberated is miraculous. I only say that because there is something more miraculous than being blessed, being healed, and being liberated. And that is blessing, healing, and liberating. Mark, seven, Mark 16, Jesus says in verse 17, and these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Not be freed of demons, that's a given. But the signs of those who believe it's not that, the scripture doesn't say they will have demons cast out of them. That's a sign that you believe. A sign that you believe is when you're casting them out. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they, the others, will recover. A sign that you believe is not that you're healed. And it's not that you're blessed, and it's not that you got a demon cast out of you. A sign that you believe is that you are healing others, and you are casting out devils. <laughs> Being blessed is only half of it. I'm not knocking it, because it's a praise God we're blessed, but we are shortchanging ourselves if we make that the end. 
I'm telling y'all, the four-step process, that's only the third step. Man receives blessing. The fourth step is man becomes blessing. This is why it's better to give than to receive. Victims can at best be blessed. Victims can at best be blessed. Only life givers can be blessings. Victims can at best be blessed. But life givers, they step into something else and they become blessings. You can be blessed and not be a blessing. But you can't be a blessing and not be blessed. You can have and not give, but you can't give and not have. Open your eyes, church. You can be blessed and not be a blessing, but you can't be a blessing and not be blessed. You can have and not give an ounce, but you can't give unless you have. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Joining the former Victims Club is less about erasing the past. We are not talking about just pretend that it didn't happen. The former Victims Club is more about acknowledging the cross. The cross is the point that Jesus has provided for victims to become life givers. Jesus was the first to walk that bridge. In the most victimized, unjust act done in the history of the world, Jesus transitioned from victim to life giver, and because of it, we have life today. He built that bridge for other people to walk it too. He just paved the way for the bridge. That bridge is now for us to walk. And my question is, are you ready to walk that bridge? Are you ready to go to the cross and transition from victim to life giver? The, the bridge that was paved for you by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus was victimized in unthinkable ways. But on the cross, he let his victim moment become his life-giving moment. He prayed forgiveness on his murderers. I believe that Jesus praying forgiveness is what guarded his heart from being the victim. Forgiveness. You're giving for. You can't even forgive without giving. Like, forgiveness is giving. I'm telling you, it is your best friend. It will keep you the lender. It'll keep you the head. It'll keep you above if you are giving. As long as you give, you have, guys. He knew in that moment he was a blessing to all sinners. And because he saw himself as a life giver, that's what he was and that's what he did. If you believe you are, you will and you will do. He believed he was a life giver, so he was, and that's exactly what he did. He gave life. If you believe you are the life giver, if you believe you are a life giver in your story, you will be that and you will do that. Matthew 11, last scripture. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
I will give you rest. He's a life giver. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this is Jesus. He's, he's offering. He's giving. And this is twofold. I'm going to ask us all to stand because we're finishing up. God is telling everybody here, if you are weary and heavy laden, if you have the weight of bitterness, the weight of regret, the weight of trauma, he says, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. Come to me. Lay all that stuff on me. I will give you rest. But the scripture doesn't just say that. It says, learn from me. And that's better because if you just come and give it to him and that's it, then you'll be back having to do that over and over again. Jesus says, how about you just learn from me and learn how I do it? Therefore, you'll know how this works. He says, learn from me because when you learn from him, you begin to echo, come to me if you're weary and I'll give you rest. So God doesn't want you to receive rest. He wants us to be able to be, be, be people who give rest to others. So he wants you to be that person that if someone is stressed out and they come and talk to Daphne, all of a sudden they don't feel heavy anymore. Because Daphne received rest and then learned how to give it. So now at the office, there's a line outside Daphne's door because everyone who hangs out with her ends up feeling lighter about their life. That's how this works. He gives you rest and then he teaches you how to minister rest to others. I'm telling y'all, step four is the end. Be the blessing. Don't let yourself get stuck at step three of I'm blessed. promise you it will not fulfill you the same as being the blessing. That is the full call on your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this first phase of uh, the former Victims Club of teaching us to, to separate ourselves from being the victim of our story and our victim mentality and to step into what you've really called us to be and that's to be life givers. That's to be blessings to this world that's so in need. I pray that you give us the courage to go through what we saw Joseph go through you never promised that it was going to be easy, but you promised that it would be possible and that you would be with us. So let that be enough, God, for all of us in here. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I want to offer rest to those who are in need. If you're heavy with anger, if you're heavy with bitterness, with resentment, with fear as a result of the things that have happened to you, of a hypersensitivity, self-protection, self-preservation, manipulation, all the things that can kind of come out of 
being victimized. Jesus wants to take all that from you. So I'm going to ask for those of you who want to say yes to Jesus, who want to be set free from the victim mentality that has held you bound and kept you from your full destiny, repeat after me and we're going to receive Jesus. And I'm going to ask for everyone to do it, even if you've already received Jesus. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate salvation. Let's celebrate the life giver who is Jesus.